thank you for joining us on the Rose Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit rosechurch.org or follow us on social media at Rose Church PDX. Mark chapter 5, here we go. Mark chapter 5, we're going to read a pretty interesting story about Jesus and a woman um, who is seeking some prayer and seeking some uh, healing from Jesus. And pretty, pretty famous story. She's known as the woman with the issue of blood, if you will. She's, uh, she's been bleeding for 12 years, can't find healing, can't find a doctor, which we'll read. But let's go to Mark chapter 5, we'll read it from the screen. It says, Jesus went with him, him being Jairus, a man came to him five verses before this and was like, my daughter's dying, can you come to the house? So Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to find healing for his daughter. So this is the hymn. And all the people followed, crowding around Jesus. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. Over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had not gotten better. In fact, she's gotten worse. She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him so he turned around in the crowd and asked, a pretty stupid question, I would say, but it's pretty fascinating that Jesus would ask, who touched my robe? Who touched me? And his disciples say back, well, look, Jesus, you're in the middle of a crowd. Everyone's pressing in on you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. The frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I want to give you some observations from this amazing story today about this woman. And my title for our, my, our talk today is simply Hide and Seek. Hide and Seek. Let's pray today as we jump into Mark chapter 5. God, I thank you for your word. God, I do thank you that Tom Brady is not going to be in the Super Bowl this season. I thank you that the Blazers are going to go on a 40-game win streak. I thank you that the Seahawks are going to win today. God, we know you're a sports fan. It's in the Bible somewhere. Um, Jesus, we thank you for your word today. I pray you'd speak to us through Mark, Mark chapter 5, God. We, we need to hear from you today, God. We are desperate to have a moment with you, God. I pray no matter who we are, what end of the spectrum we're at, God, processing life and, and, and our world right now, God, I pray you'd speak to us through Mark chapter 5. In your mighty name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Prayer is an interesting topic if you think about it, and it's not even just like um, maybe a church thing, if you will. If anyone gets hurt on a football field or a basketball court or a crash or anything like that, you know it's like everyone tweets, everyone Instagrams, everyone, you know, Facebook or says to someone like prayers and thoughts. It's kind of just a phrase that we just throw out like, hey, you know, man, prayer, you know, prayers up. Prayers and thoughts to the family. Prayers and thoughts to the situation or the, you know, prayers up. And it's not even... In the actual term of prayer, it's more just like positive energy, positive thoughts, thinking about you, praying about you. And all that means is thought about you, positive thoughts, I'm concerned about you. And we've kind of, in some ways, dumbed prayer down into is just positive thinking, positive thoughts towards you. And prayer, in a biblical term, is so much more than positive thought. It's so much more than good energy and all of those things that prayer has kind of become. Prayer is actually a time and a moment and a language that you can talk to your creator. 
Now, some of you are like, I don't really believe that, and I don't think God's talking to people. Now, when I say talk to, I don't mean like audible voice, like James Earl Jones in your ear, okay? I don't necessarily mean that, but I do mean that God can impress upon your soul, upon your, your, your spirit, your mind, and think things and verses. And God, God is still speaking to this day. Yes, his, his word is done, but his voice is not. He's still speaking and moving and directing and guiding in yours and my life and our church. And hear me today, if you're new to Jesus or new to spirituality, when you give your life to Jesus and start following him, it is now in your DNA to hear his voice. It's not a striving, it's not a hierarchy of who's more spiritual than others and who's been in church longer than others and who's memorized the book of James or anything like that. It's now that you start following Jesus, it is in your soul, it's in your DNA to talk to, to speak with. And I want to talk about prayer today, maybe in a different way than you might think, and I'll teach more on the actual act of prayer. But let me just say a few things about prayer. Number one is prayer is not a virtue. Now many of you are like, well, I don't have the gift of prayer. It's called the, the discipline of prayer. And many of us, when spiritual things come up in the Bible, we go, that's not me. That's not my Enneagram number. That's not my wing. I don't know. It doesn't really play into who I am. What we're saying is it's a cop-out that I don't want to change. Not to burst your bubble, but many of us use the Enneagram as a way to complain about how we don't want to change. Like, that's not just who I am. My dad used to say, like, suck it up, buttercup. That's what my dad used to say to me when I was, like, a kid. Like, just change. Like, suck it up. Like, just stop. And we, we need to understand that if we are a certain way or a certain personality, we need to understand you can change. You can develop into the person that God has and wants for you. And many times when prayer comes in or worship comes in, it's not really who I am. But prayer is not a virtue. Prayer is a discipline that we grow and develop and grow into. And, and prayer is a little awkward and maybe a little difficult in the beginning, but, but prayer is not a virtue. It's a discipline. Second thing is if you're like, well, prayer is kind of boring. Pray about yourself last. Last. Many times, like, oh, I'm, I'm done praying about 50 seconds. You probably just prayed about you. If you pray about yourself last, watch prayer go a lot longer and a lot different and a lot better. But even sometimes our prayers are self-focused. You pray about a lot of different things, different people, and pray about yourself last, and prayer will go a lot, lot better. But I went to this woman today, and... As we kick off this series, 21 Days of Prayer, and many times, to be honest, we think prayer is a game of hide and seek. That God is trying to hide from you, and he's waiting for you to come count to 10, right? Come seek him, and then once you get close, he changes spaces. And as he's changing, he's giggling on his way, like, oh, they'll never get me. They'll never catch me. Uh, they're getting too close. I'm going to change how I talk. I'm going to change how I think. I'm going to change because we actually maybe subconsciously think that we're playing a game of hide-and-seek with God. Can I submit to you today that we're more so playing a game of seek-and-seek? Seek-and-seek. Because when you start seeking God, you find out very fast he's already been seeking you. And so we're mutually seeking each other. And what's amazing, and you must understand this, that God wants to talk to you more than you want to talk to him. Much, much more. So if you like have a desire to pray and talk to God and pursue him, multiply it by infinity. He wants to talk with you, spend time with you, be with you, talk with you more than you would ever want to talk to him. And so you're not seeking someone that's trying to avoid you. You're seeking someone that, try, that wants to spend time with you. 
I want to give you three observations today from this story in Mark chapter 5 as we kick off this series on 21 Days of Prayer. Number one is this. There is always a pursuit. There's always a pursuit. Now, this story is amazing, and if you don't give it due diligence or give it context, it's kind of like, cool, this woman needed Jesus. Well, time out. Let's give it context. Here's a woman that is dying out. Her, her life is leaving. Her blood is leaving her. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's, read the, as I said, read the five verses before we leave. She's on the side of the road, and Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. Jairus is a man that came and found Jesus, and my daughter's dying. Would you come to my home and pray for it? Jesus says, yes, I'll come. Catch this. He's on his way to heal someone else while she needs healing. So think about her perspective. She needs what Jesus is doing for someone else. Have you ever felt that God is giving everyone else something that you really need? That he's visiting everybody else's home? He's visiting everybody else's bank account? He's visiting everybody else's job? And you're like, I've been waiting, I've been sitting, I need what Jesus is doing for them. And what can start to happen is we think that Jesus can only bless one business at a time. Well, once he's done blessing her, maybe he'll come to my business. As if God is that small. And his blessing is that limited. And his grace is that contained that he can only do it for one person and one family and one train at a time. She's sitting here. Now think about this. She could have thought, well, if it's Jesus and if he wants to, he'll come find me. Think about this. Well, if he wants to heal me, he's God. He knows where I am. He knows I need healing. He knows our marriage needs help. He knows our finances need help. If he wants to, he'll do it. If the woman would have had that disposition, she would have sat there and died. She would have sat there. Her, her life would have continued to leave her. Blood would continue to leave her. If she would have thought, well, if he wants to, he'll come find me. He'll pursue me. No, this woman is wild. This woman is scrappy. This woman goes, you know, I don't care where he's going to. I will interrupt Jesus. That's how bad I need him. I know he's on his way somewhere else for something else and someone else, but I need him, so I will interrupt Jesus. I pray today that in the year 2020, even this week, that you would get some, some fight in you, some scrappiness in you. You know, I don't care what he's doing. I need Jesus so bad, I will interrupt him on his way to someone else, and I'm not going to wait for him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to seek him out. How often have you just thought to yourself, well, he'll come find me. He'll talk to me. And you and Jesus are both waiting for someone to make the first move. Well, you go. I'm waiting for you. I wonder how many times you're like, I'm waiting for God to move. He's like, I'm waiting for you to move. It's weird. God has set up the narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation waiting for you. Like, okay, prove it biblically. Great. Good question. I will. Man comes to Jesus, has a withered hand hiding in a, in a synagogue, and the man goes, will you heal me? And Jesus says, stretch your hand out. He doesn't just heal it while it's hidden. He goes, I want you to do something. Stretch it out. Talked about last weekend. You want to get healed? I'm blind. Heal me? Yes, I'm going to spit in your face. You want, you want to be healed? Go to the pool of Shalom and wipe. Go clean. Whatever. Jesus, read it all through the New Testament. Every miracle Jesus did, he required you to move. He required you to step, you to stretch, you to do something, you to find the pool, allow Jesus. He goes, I'm not just going to do this for you. 
I want you to stretch. I want you to move. I'm waiting for you to have action. And this woman knew, I know I need healing, but I'm going to pursue Jesus. Look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. The ESV says, if you search for me, you'll find me. Notice it's not the opposite. I'll find you because I know you want me to find you. He goes, if you search for me, you'll find me. Look at Jeremiah 33. I love this. Jeremiah 33. Call to me, and I'll answer. Just call to me. I will answer you. And I love this. I pray this over you today. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I'm praying in this season, in this 21 days, as we're pursuing God and praying and reading, that he would tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And I'm thankful that every time I call, he answers. He doesn't deny my call, ignore my call, busy with somebody else's call. He knows I'm calling, and every time I call, he answers. Every time I search, he's there to be found. Every time I want him, he wants me. It's not a game of hide and seek. He's waiting and wanting you to pursue you to seek, you to search for him. You know what's amazing is Jesus says this really interesting comment. I didn't get into last service, but he says, um, he's going through the crowd, and she touches his hand, and he goes, who, who touched me? Very interesting sentence. And the disciples, like you and I, go, um, we're in a crowd, Jesus. I know you're like the son of God and all, but you're missing a few pretty simple details. Um, we're in a crowd everyone's touching you. And then Jesus says this, no, I felt power go from me. So apparently, you can be at, around Jesus and not touch him. Everyone is touching him in this whole crowd. Everyone's around him, touching him. But only one woman got something to leave him that she wanted, which means this is an indicative statement upon everybody else. You can be around Jesus next to Jesus, in the crowd with Jesus, but you cannot touch him and receive something from him. Why? Because she came with purpose. She came with an idea. They were just around him because everybody else was around him. I'm praying to you that every Sunday you come to church, every time you open your Bible, it's not just because the crowd is doing it. It's I'm here for one reason, and it's specific, and I don't want to just be around Jesus. I want to receive something from him. And this is, this is so cool. Notice how the minute she touches him, the story, the crowd isn't mentioned again. It's as if it's just him and her. That's how good God is, that when you pursue and talk to him, it's as if it's just me and him. That even in the midst of a crowd, he can make you feel like it's just me and him. Oftentimes, after I speak, people come up to me like, it was just like it was me and you today. That's Jesus. And that's how he operates, is the whole crowd moves. It's as if he's only talking to me. He's only caring about me. And that's how big and grand God is, that when you pursue, there's always a pursuit when you want to pursue Jesus and want to get to know Jesus and pray with Jesus. Number two, interesting, there's always a crowd. Crowd in parentheses. A crowd, what do I mean? Every time you go to pursue Jesus, there will always be something you have to fight through. Listen, friend, there, as much as there is a call to God, there is a call away from God. Right. Book of Jonah, God comes to Jonah and says, I, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, absolutely not. He runs down to the, to the boat dock, and there's two boats 
One going to Nineveh, where he should be going, and one going to Tarshish. If you look on a map, Tarshish and Nineveh are the opposite direction. Listen to me. Every time God calls you to Nineveh, there's always an option for Tarshish. Every time. There's always, as much as God is calling you somewhere, there's that call away from where God's calling you. And every time when you go to pursue and go to pray, there's always a crowd. There's always something to push through. How many times are you going, I'm going to start giving, and then your finances don't work out that way? I'm going to start serving, but you feel nervous to do so. You're going to send the text. Every time that you go to pursue and push and fight, there's always something blocking you or pushing you back or it's a little more difficult. And maybe you take that as God is saying, stop. Maybe that's God saying, push a little harder. Try again. Push again. Now, what's interesting, um, N.T. Wright says this in one of his uh, books. He says, the Bible is written in such a way it does not give up its goodness on the first read. It beckons, read me again. It's a fascinating quote. The Bible is written in such a way it doesn't give itself up on the first read. It's not meant to. It's meant to go, read again. Read me again. Read it again. Can I say the same thing as God? God isn't meant to give himself up on the first push. Let's push again. Get through the crowd again. Fight again. And there's something about the, the, the push and the pursuit that there's always going to be a crowd. Now, hear me. This is the biggest crowd that you have to push through, the crowd of failure. It's the biggest crowd you're going to have to push through, the crowd of failure. Here's, give the, the give this story context. A woman has been bleeding out for 12 years. We read it in the Bible. The Bible says that she has paid every doctor all of her money. None of them healed her actuality, she got worse. Okay? So think about it. She's sitting here. Think. She's sitting here as her miracle is walking this way. She has a decision. Will I get over the last 12 doctors that failed me to try one more time? She has to think. Every other person I've pursued and paid left me worse. Everyone says, this man is different. Should I try again? Should I push one more time? Should I dare to believe one more time? I really felt this as I was praying for you guys at the 930. I really feel this as I was studying for this message. I'm believing for anyone that needs to hear this today. 2020 is a year and a season and a moment to try one more time. I don't know what has failed you. I don't know what has stopped. I don't know what hasn't gone. But maybe in this decade, you need to put your shoulders back. Get your spine in order. You know what? I'm pushing one more time. I'm believing one more time. I'm hoping one more time. I'm praying one more time. I'm giving one more time. I'm asking one more time. I'm emailing one more time. I don't know who needs to hear it, but maybe it is your time to go again. Go one more time. Push one more time. Fight one more time. And the biggest crowd you're going to have to push through is the crowd of past failure. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that he's not giving us a spirit of fear. A spirit, not a mindset of fear. A spirit of fear. Do you know what the Greek word fear means? To choke. He literally says, I'm not giving you a spirit that chokes you. You know this. When you're riddled with fear, it choked. You can't even make a move. 
You can't even take a step because your joy is choked. Your confidence is choked. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you that spirit. Spirit of fear. My freshman year, I, I went to a K-12 school until eighth grade. It's like 150 students the entire school. My dad was the principal, my coach, my dad, and my pastor. It was bad. He kicked me out of the school my eighth grade year, like kicked me out, like he moved me without me knowing to Clackamas High. Like came home one day, you're in Clackamas High starting next week. Didn't know a soul, enjoyed sports. And so my freshman year, I took this guy's position because he sucked. Um, I'm just kidding, come on. But I took this guy's spot in basketball and at the end of the year, we're undefeated. End of the year, this is our last game of the season. And the coach goes, okay, Andrew, we're running a play for you to make the winning basket of our last game to be undefeated. Long story short, I miss. Freshman year, new school, I miss, we lose. Now, obviously we had a great season, but I missed the last shot of the last game to be undefeated, I missed. I'm crying at this point, I'm walking off the floor. The varsity coach comes up to me and goes, I would have chosen no one else but you to take that shot. I was like, cool, thanks for the encouragement. Missed. Sophomore year. I start varsity. We're in playoffs. A play gets called for me to shoot the last shot. What comes to my mind the last time I failed? I'm sitting in my huddle. And he goes, Andrew, we ran the same play. And immediately my mind goes, I missed the last one. I failed the last time. I missed the last opportunity. And he looks at me and goes, don't remember the last time. You will make this one. And I'm telling you right now, I put my shoulders back. I hit that shot. We win the playoff game and move on. And immediately, the failure was erased by new success. So the next time I get to play, I made the last one so I can do this one. Man, I'm praying for you this year. If you've missed some shots in your life, it's okay. More shots are coming down your way. I know you've missed some baskets, you've missed some shots, you missed some opportunities, but this is the year. Go again. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but put your shoulders back. Your coach is looking you in the eye, saying, don't worry about the last one. You're gonna get another opportunity and you'll make this one. And when you, when you forget the crowd of failure, I'm pushing again. I'm trying again, but you have to push through the crowd of past failure. And it's hard, it's tough, but I believe in this is the again season for you. The third observation I wanna make is not only is there always a crowd, but there's always a divine exchange. Every time, this woman the Bible will call her ceremonially unclean, which means she can't touch a priest because priests are too holy, they're too special. And they had more confidence in her sickness than their holiness. So they believed if this woman with her issue would touch a priest, that priest would automatically become unclean and have to go through all the rituals to become clean again. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 that Jesus is our high priest that can be touched. This woman comes and touches the hem of a new priest. And instead of her sickness overtaking his holiness, instead with this priest, his holiness, his righteousness, 
his perfectness, his healing power overtakes her. In other words, Jesus says, let's make an exchange. Give me your sickness, I'll give you wholeness. Give me your unrighteousness, I'll give you righteousness. What is prayer? Every moment, what is prayer? Making divine exchanges. I'm coming in prayer to give you my fear, and I'm going to get faith, and I'm going to give you my burden, and I'm going to receive lightheartedness. I'm going to give you my depression and receive joy. What is prayer ultimately? A divine exchange. What do you need to exchange today? What even in this room you walked in with something you shouldn't be carrying? And Jesus is like, I'll exchange with you. Exchange. You want to make a deal? Give me the finances. I'll give you faith. Give me the marriage. Give me the kid. What are you want to make an exchange? I'll make a deal with you. Prayer is a holy moment of divine exchange. I'm praying that we would, as a church, have hundreds of people that are like this woman, that we're willing to fight through crowds, fight through moments. And it's not that Jesus is busy. It's not I need him. I'm pursuing. I'm going to get. I'm going to touch. I'm going to ask. I'm going to call. I'm going to seek. I'm going to pursue. Because God, I know you built this system with my action involved. Who touched me? She comes before his feet and goes, it, it was me. What does the Bible say? And I end here. The Bible says that she felt in herself healing. Listen to me, sometimes you feel healing inside before people see it outside. The Bible says she felt it, the blood stopped. She felt healing within her. And I'm praying as we start this 21 days of prayer, or fasting if you wanna fast, or however you wanna do the 21 days, but we're pursuing. Not just corporately, individually. Maybe this is so new to you, it's okay. God is waiting for you. Psalms. I think it's 27. God says to David, seek me out. And David says this back. Lord, I hear your calling and I'm coming. I, I'm, I promise you, God is saying, come on. Seek me out. You'll find me. I'll respond. I want to make a divine exchange with you. That's how good our God is. But it starts with prayer reading your Bible, turning off the TV and Netflix for five minutes, turn on worship music and say, God, I'm here. You might have to push through the crowd, push through the busyness of life, but I'm telling you, when you get to him, a divine exchange is waiting for you.